following message is by Justin Duran, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. So as we look at today's section of scripture, there are some fun things that I've noticed happening. And I, and I have to admit, I know it's happened entirely uh, by accident. And the reason I know it's happened entirely by accident is because I was actually, originally, when Pastor Cliff and Pastor Derek and I sat down to do the schedule for preaching, I wasn't supposed to be preaching today this sermon, this text. Uh, I don't remember who it was, whether it was Pastor Cliff or Pastor Derek, but one of those guys was supposed to be preaching uh, this text, uh, which is fine. I don't mind. We, we, we're flexible and we help each other out. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is, is that I've noticed a pattern over the last several sermons that I've been allowed to preach here and had the privilege of preaching. I've gotten what seem to be very familiar texts, texts that, that it seems that people kind of know the narrative of already. And so sometimes, and I don't know why I keep doing this, but I'll approach the sermon and think, well, what, what more can I say? What more should I say? How could I say things? It's not my job to present things kind of differently. I just want to exposit God's word. But at the same time, I don't want people to either fall asleep or throw things at me. So how do I accomplish this feat? And so this time, I did something a little bit different. And so don't worry, if you were one of these people that I talked to, I'm not going to out you right now. But what I did is I talked, uh, as of this morning, I talked to no less than a dozen people, just asking them some questions about this, what I thought was a very familiar section of Scripture. And one of the main questions that I asked, I'm going to ask you now, don't answer it out loud, let's not do that, but just think about it silently for a moment. How long was Jesus tempted in the desert? Just think about it for a moment. How long was Jesus tempted in the wilderness or desert, depending on your translation? So the number one answer from 11 of 12 people polled was 40 days. Is that what you came up with? I hope not. <laughs> because the truth is, is, is uh, we're not exactly sure for how long he was tempted. Jesus was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. How long he was tempted... It's an argument from silence. Some people say he was tempted the whole 40 days. If I wasn't eating for that period of time, I'd be tempted. I know that's true. Some people say that Satan came to him periodically throughout the 40 days. Here from Luke, we don't see that indication. Here in Luke, if you'll read with me, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. So this was Jesus being led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. This wasn't Jesus going and setting up camp in the desert and just sitting there static, singing campfire songs and counting stars, though he may have done that. I don't know. It's an argument from silence. Instead, what the Bible says is he was being led around the wilderness by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, by his Father. He was being led around the wilderness. It says for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, it says, in the New American Standard. And it says he became hungry. So this is where people get this idea of he being tempted by the devil for 40 days. But as we read it a little more carefully, it goes in and says, and the devil said to him, you are the son of God. And Jesus answered, I'm sorry, in the ESV it says it different, that's why. Uh, sorry, I'm looking in two different places here. But, and Jesus, full of the Spirit, reform, reform, uh, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted. So he was led by the Spirit for 40 days, being tempted. There's separation here in the language. It doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus was being tempted the entire 40 days. And one person out of the 12 I uh, uh, surveyed said to me, looked at me actually quite uh, confusedly this morning and said, well, 
well, he was in the wilderness for 40 days, but, but I don't, he wasn't tempted the 40 days. So he was saying it to me like, Pastor, you, sh- you should know this, right? You're preaching this today. Hopefully, you know this to be true. Yes, brother, I knew it to be true, and I was excited, and I gave him a pat on the back uh, verbally. I didn't actually pat him on the back, uh, but it was an exciting thing to have. And why do I say all this? Well, friends, because I was reminded yet again, as I have been over and over and over when I get these wonderful, familiar sections of Scripture, is that if we're not careful, we can overlook things. We kind of take God's word for granted sometimes, don't we? Now, I know that's a terrible thing to admit, and I don't want to see nodding heads or pointing at one another. Let's not do that. But if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes as we read God's word, we can kind of glance over those things that we feel that we know already. Do you ever do that? Am I alone in the room? I'm glad I'm not. Thank you. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can glance over these beautiful and wonderful and profound things that God says. But as we'll see in just a moment, as we look through this section of Scripture, it's those words of God, those things that he said and their careful instruction that will indeed help keep us safe from the temptations set before us by Satan. Let's read through this Scripture one more time. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In verse 9 it says, and he took him to Jerusalem and set him on top the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. Now, friends, regardless of of kind of what my intro might have suggested or not. This is not meant to be a debate as to whether or not Jesus was tempted the whole 40 days he very may well have been. Whether he was tempted just for five minutes, unlikely. Whether he was tempted periodically throughout the 40 days, I I don't know. And I don't think that's necessarily important. What it means to say here is when when we look over sections of scripture that we feel that we know and we don't pay them careful attention, we can lose some beauty and some profound importance. One of the first things that we see as we look at this section of scripture, at least that I see, is I'm reminded of another temptation that we see in the Bible. I'm reminded of a temptation that we actually see in the very beginning of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, we see Adam tempted. Now, uh, brothers uh, in the room, I know that when we read through Genesis, particularly in chapter uh, 3, that it says the serpent came to the woman, and so oftentimes we like to say, see, it was her fault. Uh, Adam was there, and this was very much Adam's temptation. So uh, wives and girlfriends in the room, you can point back at, at, your, at your man. It was, it was his fault. Uh, Adam. Adam was tempted. And it says 
in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, uh, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, shall, uh, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not <clears throat> surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired uh, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. See, he was there. He was there the whole time, folks who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Now, how are these two things similar? It seems like I'm drawing things uh, together that, aren't, that shouldn't be necessarily drawn together. Well, what I want you to see here primarily, there are lots of things theologically we can dig into, but what I want you to see primarily here is, is the schemes of the devil didn't really change, did they? His tactic was exactly the same. And initially, at least, at least initially, it seems that Adam and Eve's response was similar to that of Jesus, but there was a breakdown, wasn't there? What do I mean when I say that the schemes of the devil haven't changed? His methodology has seemed to stay the same. Well, he's calling into question these things that God has said. Surely God didn't say that, did he? And then Eve answers back, well, yeah, this is what he said. This is what God said, and we see here in Luke chapter 4 a very similar tactic, don't we? Maybe a little bit more refined, but Satan is essentially saying uh, here when we look at verses, uh, uh, verse 3, rather, we look at verse 3, it says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So he's saying, if you're truly in this position if you're truly who God says that you are, then use this authority and command this stone to have bread. See, this is a similar thing that he said to Eve and Adam in the garden. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any, uh, any tree in the garden? And the woman said to him, to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of this one. It's this questioning of your position Really, if God created you in this way, he gave you this garden, did he really say that all of this is for you, that none of this is for you? It's a questioning of that position. This, this pattern that Satan has seems to be the same. And Eve initially answers the right way. She says, well, well God said this. This is what God said. He said, we can eat of anything in the garden, but we shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent further tempted her and said, You will surely not die, calling God a liar. In Luke, we see this passively kind of happen. <laughs> In Luke, we see... This is a fun morning, isn't it, folks? <laughs> In Luke, we see sort of the same thing passively happen. Satan is very craftily and very carefully trying to cause Jesus to question all that God has said. He's laying the same old trap, the same trap that he set for the first Adam, he's now trying to set for the second Adam, Jesus Christ. But I want you to see how, how Christ responds here. 
Jesus answers him in verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on or by bread alone, depending on your translation, on or by bread alone. When Jesus responds in this way, he's actually quoting God's word. He's actually quoting God's word in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says this, And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What does Jesus do here that we see? When tempted with this thing, now he's hungry, whether he was being tempted the whole time or not, 40 days is a long time to go without eating. And I just want to address real quick, there are some skepticisms that happen uh, throughout uh, uh, when when people try and look at this verse and they say, well, surely Jesus could not have fasted for 40 days. He had to have eaten something. Maybe he was doing a 24-hour fast where he wasn't eating during the day and then he was taking some kind of sustenance uh, in the evening. Friends, I think that those are perilous arguments to start to get into. When the Bible says that Jesus fasted for 40 days, Why don't we just take it that he fasted for 40 days? Now, medically speaking, we have a lot of sharp people in the room. We have nurses and doctors and all kinds of of people, and they can probably tell you and probably will tell you the human body can go 40 days without food. It absolutely can. There's an actually interesting uh, documentary on Netflix. I don't have Netflix anymore, but there's an interesting documentary there where, uh, where a man went and he wanted to go for 30 days with eating no food, only drinking water for 30 days. And, and doctors told him not to do it. He was going to get sick. He was going to die. He did it anyway because apparently that's what you do to get Netflix famous these days. And so he has this 30-day fast, and he gets to 30 days, and there's nothing medically wrong with him. As a matter of fact, his meta- all his metabolics, all his physical uh, attributes got better as time went on. And so then he went to 40 days, eating nothing and uh, drinking only water for 40 days. And then he pushed it to 50 days because he got to 40 days, and he was feeling fine. And so he got to 50 days. And he he said, I wanted to go for 60, and right around 52 days, he ends up uh, deciding to eat some food, and he reacclimates himself back to food. Uh, All that to say, not that this man is Jesus, but this man isn't even Jesus. (laughs) And he did 52 days. So 40 days is absolutely absolutely doable. Let's lay those things to rest. When people come at you with those types of silly arguments, actually what they're arguing from is from their belly. They think, I can't go from morning to noon without a Whopper, so Jesus surely couldn't have gone 40 days. I can't go from breakfast and skip lunch and go to dinner without getting cranky and kicking the dog and being mad at my kids, so Jesus surely couldn't have gone for 40 days. Let's lay those arguments to rest, and when the Bible says that Jesus uh, fasted for 40 days, can we all agree that Jesus fasted for 40 days? Amen. Hallelujah. We'll take it. So for 40 days, for 40 days, he's eaten nothing and he's hungry. And Satan comes in here and he does what Satan always does, what temptation always does, to find you in your weak point. Now, friends, I have heard people try to argue that because Jesus is who he is, because he's the son of God, this wasn't a terrible temptation for him. Hebrews would disagree with you, and we'll get there in just a minute. But I want you to understand that when the Bible says that Jesus fasted for 40 days, it was 40 days. And so then, when it said that he was hungry, what do you think he was? He was hungry. And Satan came and tried to tempt him and attack him 
in his weakness. And Christ's response was to take the words of his father from Deuteronomy and turn them back to Satan. When Satan met with lies that looked like truth, Christ brought truth from the mouth of God, from Deuteronomy 8, when he says that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Christ not only was using this scripture as his defense, but he was literally living this scripture as his defense. While he doesn't quote all of it here in Luke, the whole verse says, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. By quoting this scripture that Satan surely knew, by quoting this scripture, what Jesus is saying is, I don't need you to tempt me for this bread. I don't need to turn these stones into bread because I will live and be sustained by the word of my Father, the living God of the universe. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But Satan doesn't give up there, does he? If we look at verses 5 through 7, now that he's tried to tempt Jesus with food, now he offers Jesus power. Let's look at verse 5 of Luke chapter 4. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So we've seen Satan tempt him where he's weak, in his physical weakness, in his hunger, in his physical need. And now we see Satan switch tactics when that's not working and try and tempt him with power and authority and dominion. Now what could Jesus have said to Satan here? Jesus could have looked Satan full in the face and said, Yeah, this has been given to you, O prince of the power of the air, but my father is the king of the universe. You have no authority that I don't have. Could, could Christ have said that to Satan? And would he be being truthful? Absolutely. Christ could have stared Satan in the face and say, you don't offer me anything that I don't already have. Get thee behind me. But that's not what he does, is it? What does Christ do here? If you look in verse 8, this is what Jesus says. And Jesus answered to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, I told you that as I get to look at these sections of scripture that seem familiar to everyone, I get to learn new things and I'm excited to learn new things. And one of the new things that I was excited to learn as I looked through this section of Luke is apparently Jesus loves the book of Deuteronomy, which makes me want to go visit Deuteronomy a little bit more, because if I'm being honest, I've, had, I've struggled through Deuteronomy in the past. But if Jesus loved it and quotes it so much, then I need to spend some more time in it, because that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, is he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. De Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 3, it says, and he humbled you and let you hunger. Oh, wait, I did this wrong. Uh, I did this wrong. But if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, see, I didn't need my, my iPad there, Pastor Bob. You could have kept it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I, have command, uh, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. This is the, the, the section of scripture that Jesus is quoting here in Deuteronomy 6. He's, he doesn't look at Satan and tell him, Satan, you're not, you're not offering me anything I don't have. He doesn't stand proud in his own authority that God has given him. He doesn't stand proud in his own ability, but yet, once again, he submits to the word and the will of the Father by quoting scripture to Satan. Now, anything that Jesus would say is true and is scripture, but that's not what Jesus does. When tempted with this power, when tempted with this authority, when tempted with all of these nations, Jesus responds with the word of his Father. And as we look on, in verses 9 through 11, it says this, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you uh, strike your foot against the stone. So now that Satan has tempted him with provision for his stomach, has tempted him with power and authority, he now tempts him with security and protection. And before we get into what Christ's response is, because I think you're probably going to understand where I go from this point, before we get into what Christ's response is and how he responds, I just want to ask you, in your lifetime, when you've been tempted, in what ways have you been tempted? See, I told you when we looked at Genesis that we were going to see that Satan repeats some patterns. He kind of doesn't have new tricks when it comes to the concept of temptation. And I want you to see the same things that he tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden are the same things that he tried to tempt Christ with and are the same things that you and I are tempted with all the time. Maybe not in the same way, to the same magnitude, or in the, same, uh, in, in the exact same scenario. But friends, it's, it's a similar pattern. See, when, when Satan went to Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the lie that he was trying to tell them? Well, you're not like God. But the Bible tells us that God reached down into the dust of the earth and formed man with his hand in what? In his own image. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God reached down into the dust of the earth and formed man and breathed life into him, his holy life. Everything else the Lord spoke into existence. Let there be light, bam, and it was good, and he saw that it was good. Skies, water, fish, birds, plants, animals spoke them. Sun, moon, stars spoke them. And he saw that they were good. But man, he handcrafted and breathed his life into them. And then gave dominion to man over all that he had created. In what way was Adam not like God, friends? He was handcrafted in God's image. But Satan came and lied to him and said, you're not like God, and he doesn't want you to be like him. 
a similar thing that we see here with Jesus. If you are, do you notice that he keeps invoking this thing? If you are the Son of God, if you are who you say you are, if you are who God says you are, it's an identity issue. It's an identity issue. And friends, where do you derive your identity? Is it in Christ Jesus? Or is it in the things of this world? Because our Savior derived his identity in who the Father said he was. And friends, if you are saved by grace through faith, if you are saved in Christ Jesus, then the Father of the universe, the King of all, has said that you are in Christ. That is your identity. You are not Mary May of Albuquerque. And I said Mary May of Albuquerque because we don't have any Mary Mays from Albuquerque in our church. We got a lot of names to sift through, and that was the one I could come up with. You're not who you are from the place that you were born or the place that you went to school. You are in Christ. In Christ. I am not Justin Duran from Ukaipa via the way of Dewarty and Lake Elsinore and every other place I lived in my life. I am not Justin Duran, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church. I am in Christ. I am redeemed. And I happen to be called Justin. This is an identity issue. And Satan, when he comes and when he tempts you, when you're tempted by the things of this world, friends, I need you to understand that you are tempted in the same way. You are tempted for your own provision. Whatever thing is distracting you from the glory of God, it's for your own provision. I need this so that I can live. I have to do this thing so that way I can provide. I have to do this thing so that I can eat, so that I can have clothes, so I can have a home. You're tempted by your provision. And if not your pr provision, then your position. You're tempted by your position if you do this thing, if you set aside your love of God, if you set aside the things that he's told you to do, if you set aside your fellowship with your church, if you set aside your commitments and you set aside your Bible, you'll have more time and you can pursue these things that are going to elevate your position and give you more power and more authority and more money and more pleasure and then you can come back. It's a lie. It's a lie. And the final thing that we are always tempted with is protection and security because these things try to undergird the previous two temptations or classes of temptation don't they you have to set aside what god said you have to do things this way you have to and don't worry god loves you He's going to protect you. If you set aside all the things that he's told you are true, if you set aside worship of him first, if you pursue these idols, don't worry. He loves you. He'll forgive you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you. He's going to make sure that you're fed. He's going to make sure you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. Lies. Straight from the pit of hell, but look at what our Savior does. Let's read again verses 9 through 11 and see this wicked, evil temptation, this lie that comes from Satan. <laughs> it says he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. If you are the Son of God, there's the identity question. If you are, if you are, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. 
and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. He's trying to twist God's word and the truth that Christ knows against him. And he wraps it all up in this identity statement. If you are who you claim you are, then you would know this to be true. And Jesus answered him in this way. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, I don't want to necessarily get into the terrifying nature of that last phrase, until the opportune time, because that will come later in the Gospel of Luke. But I want you to see here what Jesus did yet again. Jesus answers from the book of Deuteronomy. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. Christ doesn't stand in his own authority. He doesn't try to stand in his own power. When tempted, when he's weak and tired and hurting, what does he do? He leans on the Father. He speaks the words of the Father. And when every lie and every temptation is brought against our Savior, he stands firm and secure in the word of God. He has seared it to his heart. He knows it. And yes, I understand that in part, if we look at things in a broad theological scope, that Jesus wrote it. And so maybe he knows it. Sure. But we can't ever dismiss the weakness of Christ in humanity. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Friends, these aren't my words. These are the words of the Bible. And it says in Hebrews 14, or rather 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, if you are in Christ, you serve a Savior who knows your pain. You serve a Savior who knows your physical frailty. You serve a Savior who has been tempted, it says, in every way as we are. In every way. I said before that it's, it's dangerous to speak from silence about what happened during those 40 days or whether it was all tempted the whole time. But we see throughout the Bible that a clear indication that these were not the only three ways that Christ was tempted. I guarantee it is in one of these three categories, whether it be provision or power or protection. It was in one of those three categories, but we don't know all the ways necessarily that he was tempted. But Hebrews tells us that he has been tempted in every respect as we are. Every respect. In anything that you've ever been tempted in, the Bible gives us an indication that Christ has known a similar temptation. Yet what did God do 
What did Christ do? He shielded himself with the word of God. He shielded himself with the truth. And when the enemy would try and distort God's word to bring lies and accusations against our Savior, he just spoke God's truth, and he stood firm and unwavering in God's truth. Friends, what lies of the devil do you believe today in your life? What things are you seeking after that put Christ second in your life? Is it for your provision? I get it. We live in one of the most expensive places to live in all the world, certainly in the United States. I get your desire for provision. But never, ever let it be said that you put your desire for your own belly before the worship of your Savior. Is it power and position and authority that tempts you? You know if you just work a little bit harder, if you sacrifice, if you just give one more Sunday, one more Wednesday night, one more Bible study skipped and you log those hours, you're going to get recognized, you're going to get that promotion, you're finally going to get that raise, you're finally going to get that office, you're finally going to get that thing. People are going to recognize you for your skills and your talents if you just set God aside just a little bit longer. Does that sound like any of you? If I just want safety, going to church can be dangerous sometimes in this nation. What about letting your faith be known? Any of you in a school or a workplace where the fact that you're a Christian might bring you harm? Well, if, I just, if I'm just quiet about this, I know, I know that I'm in a place where there are damned people bound for hell all around me. I know that I'm in a place where I can look out daily and see people who desperately need the saving grace of Jesus. They need somebody to be bold enough to bring the gospel to them, but not me. If I'm quiet, then I'm safe. I won't lose my job. People won't think I'm the weirdo. Is that you? Now, I'm not making accusations. I'm truly asking questions, friend, and I'm not doing it from a place of ignorance. These are all areas that I've struggled before in my life, but friends, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt as it is modeled for us by Christ Jesus. When we stand firm in the word of God, when we speak boldly God's truth in the face of evil and temptation and the enemy, then they have no choice but to scurry back into darkness. See what it says in verse 13 of Luke chapter 4. And when the devil had ended every, tempta every temptation, when he had exhausted every temptation, when he had tried everything he could try and was, was met time and time again with God's truth, with God's word, with the surety that comes in the word and the truth of the Lord, he departed. It says, he departed. Friends, you want to be safe? I don't know how to give that to you. You want provision? If you're hungry, I'll buy you lunch, but I don't know how to help you all the time. You want power and authority? I gave most of mine away when we merged. I don't know how to help you hold on to that. But if you, if you want to stand firm 
in your faith, if you want the temptation to depart from you, well, that I know how to do, friends. Read God's word. Sear it to your heart and mind. Studying for this sermon has made me commit that I'm going to be doing an in-depth study through Deuteronomy. If you want to do it, let's do it together. Let us sear God's word to our hearts and minds so that when we are tempted, we might answer not in our own power as Christ could have and we would fail at, but instead let us answer with the power and the promise of God's word. Amen? And there are more things that we learn from God's word all the time. And I just want to leave you with one more. God's word teaches us that every single human being on earth is in desperate need of a savior. All of us and all of you. We need a savior because we are sinful, wretched creatures. If left to our own devices, then we will choose hell. But in Christ, by God's grace, through faith in him, we can know salvation eternally in Christ. We can know security eternally in Christ. Friends, if you are here today and you do not know the Lord for salvation, my heart breaks for you, and I am literally pleading with you in this moment to take what the Bible says seriously. This life is but a vapor. It's a whisper, a blink, a moment in time. And when it's gone, there is eternity left on the horizon. Where will your eternity be spent? In the presence of the Lord or under his wrath in hell? Friends, the Bible promises those of us who believe and repent of our sinfulness, that we will be saved. And so that's what I call you to do today. If you do not know the Lord, friends, I ask you to repent. I beg you to repent. And the Bible commands that you repent. Believe in who Christ is, that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God sent to save his people, all those people that God calls according to his purpose. Believe, believe in him and call on his name and you shall be saved. And if you are in this room and you are saved today, as our dear brother Cliff prepares to lead us in the Lord's Supper, I would remind you that repentance is not a solitary act. Repentance is the lifestyle of a Christian who desires to be reconciled to God. Take that seriously as we consider the Lord's Supper. Repent of your sinfulness. Let us pray. Awesome Father, we thank you this and every day, Lord, for the power of your word. And Lord, for the times that we would forget the beauty and the majesty of your power revealed either in Christ or revealed through your word, Lord, we are sorry. Lord, let us never be a people who try to stand in our own willpower, who try to stand in our own strength, but instead let us be humble servants who bow at the throne of the king and who speak with his authority, who speak with 
his words, who stand firm in his truth. Lord, for those of us who are tempted daily, be it by provision or by position or by protection, Lord, we pray that you would give us strength and faith, that you would guard us and keep us safe from temptation and that we would rest in you. Would you sear your word to our hearts? And Lord, in the moments that we're tempted, would it be your word that escapes our lips? And Lord, if there are those here today who are unbelieving, who don't know you, then Lord, I pray for them. I pray even now as we sit here that you, by the power of your spirit, would stir their affection for Christ Jesus. Lord, would you humble them in a great merciful way? Would you bring them, Lord, would you grant the gift of belief and bring them to repentance and obedience? We love you. We praise you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.